Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, how are y'all? Lovely. Yourself? I'm good. It's, um, it's a really pretty day in Richmond, so I can't argue with that. How are you doing, Hillary? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to get outside and enjoy some of that weather. It seems like a big, big storm last night kind of broke a little bit of the heat. So it's a good day, good day to be out. Yeah, and I, from my window, I can see that it's sunshiny. Um, so that's, uh, that's how I'm viewing the world now is, <laughs> is what does it look like outside my back window? Because that's what I look out on when I'm working. Um, for listeners, we have Hillary back. Um, Hillary Miller is the um, copyright librarian for uh, VCU Libraries, um, but she also delves into all sorts of things um, of access. And one of the things that we had talked to her, and sorry, Augie's here too. Um, you heard his voice, but you know him. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say like Hillary, oh, and Augie, right? That's not how that had, that's how it came out, but it's not how I meant it. Um, it, so when we talked about copyrights, we kind of ended with, we were going to sort of move into the idea of trademarks and what's trademarkable. Cause that falls under that sort of copyright umbrella of, of ownership of something. Um, or at least it does to my mind, those two things seem to be connected and the government offices that for years and years controlled them was the patent and trademark operator. Like it was all in there together. Um, so I want to start by asking, what is a trademark? What does trademark mean? Well, kind of like copyright, I would say that it, it's pretty literal in the sense that a copyright is the right to make copies or control how copies of your stuff is made. And a, a trademark is any mark, like a logo or a word or a phrase or something that is a part of someone's trade or their business. So it lit kind of literally in that sense is talking um, about the function of being able to control how, again, logos and phrases and marks you use as a part of your business, maybe, or your um, identity, even if we talk about, you know, people trying to uh, trademark their names, um, how you get to control the use of it, prevent other people from using it, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, as Hillary just pointed out, Nia, um, there, the way to define it is probably, I think, best for our listeners if we go ahead and give examples. You know, so for instance, if you think about uh, soft drinks, you know, you, you have trademark <laughs> logos like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Um, and again, again it, it, it's considered property Okay, in the sense that the business logo is known for X, so whoever wants to go ahead and use it has to go ahead and get permission or pay a fee to do so. Um, oh, like licensing when you when you say I want to make a shirt with VCU's VCU. logo on it, you have to get VCU to give you permission because otherwise you might make a shirt that is 
either competitive with a shirt they make or appallingly against what they perceive the brand to be. Like if your t-shirt said VCU and then underneath sucks, don't go to college, right? They're probably <laughs> not going to give you permission. Have you thought gonna, about branding for this podcast though? Cause that I'm good. We actually shirts civil discourse. Civil discourse or not, right? Like I mean, yeah, I guess. And then you could put a bat on the bottom of it or something. Um, okay, so I so wait a minute. Hold a way on. Hold for on. VCU wait. to protect. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Just a second. Here. It's funny you mentioned that, uh, uh, Hillary, because um, yesterday we were recording another podcast episode um, that looked at a particular expression in administrative law arbitrary and capricious. Which I told Augie <laughs> I was feeling these days. I'm feeling arbitrary and capricious. Because so, I think it's a great theme, a life theme. So we started talking about merchandise for the Civil Discourse podcast. <laughs> the fact that we don't have uh, uh, merchandise uh, or any kind of swag of that sort, but nevertheless, um, to your <laughs> comment, um, uh, we might want to go ahead and get a trademark for um, civil discourse as a podcast. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that, uh, well, I'm going to get to the idea about trademarking word, like regular people words. Sure. Um, but I, but I want to ask um, Augie cause he knows all these things. Um, and I depend on him to know these things. I bet there's an originating case, right? There's some, or is it the commerce clause? Are you going to crush me by saying it's the Commerce Clause? Because you regularly crush me by saying that. But what what guides the trademark law? Like, is there some? Okay. Or so, is there just rando? Nope. We just decided we're in charge of it, and y'all are going to have to suck it up and like it that way. Well, for roughly the first eighty to ninety years of the country's history, um, uh, when the United States Congress uh, created a patent and trademark office, the assumption was. Congress had the authority to do so in regards to trademarks because of um, the copyright clause. So uh, listeners, um, if you uh, listen to uh, the episode about copyrights, uh, Hillary rather specifically mentions the copyright clause of the U.S. Constitution. Um, and that's, you know, the the, the authority in Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution, where Congress um, uh, uh, was granted specific authority to create, you know, patents um, to, if you will, provide an incentive for people to do things in regards to science, music, and other innovations. So the logic was, or at least the assumption was, that's where Congress had the authority to recognize and regulate the use of trademarks. But <laughs> that got challenged in a, a case in front of the Supreme Court, which, uh, you know, not so creative, uh, creatively uh, was lab labeled the trademark cases of 1879. <laughs> well, you got to admire them when they call it what's in the tin. You know, <laughs> this is biscuits. It's not anything else. <laughs> it's not anything else, right? Okay. <laughs> okay, um, uh, which was actually uh, uh, three consolidated cases. And the Supreme Court went ahead uh, and ruled um, that Congress is, if Congress has the authority um, to recognize trademarks, it doesn't flow from the copyright clause. 
but that doesn't stop Congress because a couple years later, nothing um, stops Congress. They pass. They are the train that keeps rolling. Sure, <laughs> it sure is. They passed again a really creative law, the Trademark Act of 1881. And interestingly enough, Nia, I'm 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 sorry. I'm going to rain rain on your beautiful. Okay, sunny. Sunny parade, my sunny Richmond parade. You're going to mention the CC, aren't you? I'm going to mention the Commerce Clause. Congress went ahead and said that trademarks, okay, um, uh, were tied to interstate commerce. That if a business wanted to go ahead and advertise itself, establish a brand that had to have the ability to um, establish a trademark that other people would recognize, okay, in regards to um, commerce or trade. That uh, makes sense because if you had to register Coca Cola in all 50 states, like financially, that would be deleterious to your business. Well, not to Coke because they make a gazillion dollars a day, but to a much smaller business, that would be sure. I could see where that would be a harm okay, I'm going to allow the Commerce Clause in this particular instance. I'm just saying, I'm watching you. And every time you bring it up from now on, I'm going to start saying, really? Is it really that? I'm going to be analyzing you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're not threatened at all, are you? Because you know everything comes back to that. I, hey, I, I tell my students all the, uh, all the time, you know, whether it is um, intellectual property, um, you know, your backyard garden <laughs> where you cross state lines and you sell your tomatoes at a, at a, at a farmer's market, grandma's growing pot for medicinal purposes. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, um, it, it, you know, civil rights laws, right? They're all rooted in this idea that if something is part of commerce, and, and, and the United States Supreme Court has contributed to this. I mean, we, we had multiple episodes about this, okay? The United States Supreme Court has contributed to this. The big shock is usually when the court goes ahead and says, yeah, that isn't related to the Commerce Clause. That's yeah. the big shock, okay? Everything else is commerce. Okay? I guess I guess I forget sometimes how much capitalism is the basis of everything sure. that, that yeah. is foundational in the United States. Okay. So, so we have this, we have the trademark act and then, so they, so Congress says, you don't have the authority to do that. And they go, oh, as it turns out, ta-da, we made this act. So now we do have the authority to do this. And there have been countless Supreme court decisions that have ratified what Congress did with the Trademark Act of 1881. Okay, so yeah. they've established then that it's a, yes. like it's a done deal. Yeah. So you guys said, okay, so the first thing I wanna ask is, and I don't know if y'all know the answer to this, but I'm curious. So Campbell's Soup, right? Andy Warhol made art with, that, that painted Campbell's Soup cans. He had some sort of deep fascination with Campbell's soup, which says something about his psyche that we can't get into. But, but did he have to pay Campbell's or was Campbell's like uber flattered because this extremely well-known artist used, or, or in art, does it, does it do trademarks count with art? Like is, oh, I'm not asking this question well, but I think you guys know what I mean. 
Well, yeah, it's if, if you're using it in a way that you're not trying to compete, you're not trying to commercialize it and you're not trying to sell it. And in particular, in this case, it's super creative work. Yeah, there is room for that. And I, I don't remember how much we might have talked about fair use before related to copyright, but there's a similar, there are several similar types of um, limitations on trademark. Um, pretty much if you're not trying to commercialize it or put it on your own product or pass your product off as, um, you know, another company's or something, there are some definite rights carved out. So that one would probably fit under this con the concept of nominative use. So, um, you know, you, if you want to evoke or describe or depict a product or a person or something, you might have to use their name because that's how people know them. Um, so there's not really a way around that, even though um, there have been uh, court cases where uh, people have been sued just for using someone else's name uh, and they've found no, it, how else would someone describe who you are? You trademarked your own name. Um, you were, you know, so straightforward there that there's literally no way around it. Yeah, and in the, in, in the uh, example you just gave, Nia, you know, the company that owns Campbell Soup more than likely could have filed a lawsuit in uh, federal claims court saying that their trademark had been violated. Okay, and in particular, because it's a painting that uh, at least the estate of Andy Warhol could have made significant money on, right? On the other hand, Okay, Campbell's chose not to in large part because, okay, look at all the free advertising it got. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I mean so you see the is, can and, it, and it's tied in your mind to those paint. Like, so it's cross-pollinated. It yeah. So part of it is it's up to the trademark holder to decide whether or not, okay, how you used their brand, their logo, their name, if you will. Okay. Um, you know, uh, coincides or infringes upon um, your rights as the holder of the trademark. Oh, so you get to decide whether it's worth it. Like sure. they might be doing you a favor or it might be so small that it's not worth. Yeah. So, I mean, that it's not worth going after. Although there I mean, are some companies that go after it. Everybody. Like Disney. Yeah, every, Disney is not letting you do yeah. anything with their characters that is in any way salacious or outside their family oriented. Like there's been some interesting dolls <clears throat> in the in the world that have been created that uh, and I'm going to let leave that to readers or listeners imagination. Um, just think frightening. But also they have stopped that because it's it's they don't want to be tied to something that's inappropriate considering that their brand is family, family um, oriented. Okay. So they go after, but then like some people probably don't because why bother, right? This company is tiny and they've sold five of this thing and who cares if they made a bobblehead baby Yoda or well, actually that's Disney, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. So it's so it's up to them. So if I trademark Nia Rogers, which we're going to get into in a minute about whether people can actually do that or not, but if I did that and then somebody somehow misused that, I could make them stop. But if well, I wanted my name in lights and they were promoting me, 
then I could just let them do it. Yeah, I mean, you could file a lawsuit, okay? But then it's up to a federal court to determine oh, whether true. or not, you know, some of the exceptions that Hillary just mentioned um, are being satisfied or not. I, I assume I have to show harm. Yes. Right? Like I have to show that somehow it has harmed me in some way, either yes. financially or psychologically or emotionally. <laughs> yes. Or that the person is um, watering down your your trademark. They're using it in a way that makes it less distinctive and makes it more likely that other people are going to um, confuse it or stop recognizing it as its own thing. Um, and think about uh, Kleenex. Hope I don't get in trouble just for saying it. But you know how often oh. in, in people's actual language they use Kleenex. Right to mean any type of, you know, tissue, not just the product. That's, so that's true. an example of Kleenex probably has to fight pretty hard against, you know, people just using that um, in a way that waters it down. Because the, the danger there is if it becomes so watered down, it's not recognizable as your distinctive trademark, you can lose it. What do you mean you can lose it? You, you lose the right to, um, I actually don't know the term, it, what it's called exactly, you just, it's no longer protected by trademark. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, so. Yeah, because it's no, it's then considered, oh. it's then no longer considered a unique brand. Okay. Okay. Oh, again, so Xerox, Xerox and Kleenex and things where people use that as the Google, which is now a verb. Interesting. Okay. Right. Because yeah. people say I Googled it and they're using that as a, like a, to mean I searched for it on the internet. internet. It's becoming, that's right. That's oh, right. that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. So that's a double-edged sword. You want people to, to think, Ooh, Google, I will use Google, but then it becomes, I did this verb that I did on a different search engine. Well, think about, you know, go back to my example of soft drinks. Okay. How many people. Give me a Coke. Yeah. Give me a Coke. Okay. Yeah, we only have Pepsi, whatever. Yes, you know, and, and that's what they're thinking, okay? Um, but, you know, both Coca-Cola and Pepsi have trademarked, okay? But, I mean, how many people actually make a distinction unless you have a particular preference, you know, for that type of soft drink? Right. Okay. Yeah, you say give me a Coke. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Or, I, although... I've come to understand that in the United States, there are many, many, many words for that, that bubbly deliciousness that you can guzzle um, soda and pop and Coke and right like, a, and it depends on where you live and you move to a place and you say a word and people say, oh, you're from somewhere else because you're not using their word for whatever this thing is. That's Cola, right. Right. Like all of it. Okay. Okay, so can we talk about normal words for a second? Because this whole booking, <laughs> yes, okay, booking case, right? Where so booking was is a booking.com is a website where you go to book various trip, trip amenities, yeah, right? Hotels and you know, lights, and cars, all okay. that stuff, planes, all that stuff, Airbnbs. And they said, um, what, I don't understand the case. So, well, I mean, I understand that somebody said, hey, you can't just go around trademarking. What are you going to do, trademark and next? I mean, like, you, there are words that seem ubiquitous that you shouldn't be able to trademark. 
and their argument was no we're what special we're doing a special thing or we got here first what's the okay so one of the big issues that has arisen in the last 20 years is uh, how internet companies frequently take uh, a normal word like booking and then they attach dot com to it okay right because they're an internet company right right um and uh the company behind booking.com um and for you know listeners you've probably seen the advertisements okay for booking dot you know booking.com uh they applied for a trademark um uh and uh, the office, the federal government office, the Patent and Trademark Office, denied the request. Okay. Um, Does that happen often? Um, Hiller, do you have the percentages on this? I mean, from what I've read, um, um, it, no, I, I don't. I think. I think there are some cases where it happens more often than it should, but in, in small companies who sort of fly under the radar and, you know, no one's probably going to challenge them on it because no one knows about their trademark or product. I think uh, there, there are a lot of ones like that that are not quite high profile, you know, enough. Yeah. So. Um, and I imagine I could go ahead and look that up because it seems to be the kind of thing that Congress uh, would, <laughs> would, would require some <laughs> some sort of report, and by the way, uh, because of the Paperwork Reduction Act, um, it's now an electronic report uh, from the agency to Congress, but nevertheless. Okay. Yay, Paperwork Reduction Act. Okay. For everybody working at home, you can still get government stuff because it's online. Yes. So the case goes uh, to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, and the Fourth Circuit Court, um, said that adding .com to booking, okay, would, make, would be a recognizable name to the public, okay? And thus it deserves um, trademark protection per uh, the, uh, the, if you will, you know, current federal law, the Lanham Act, which was actually passed in 1946, okay? Um, Way before booking.com. Yes, right? <laughs> now, the, the, the federal government appealed to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, and by the way, the booking.com case was the first Supreme Court case heard post-COVID-19, okay? It was the first um, uh, uh, telephone streaming case that the Supreme Court actually heard. Ah, so... Yes, Teleconferencing.com yeah. should have gotten on that. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and what is at issue is um, uh, the, pat uh, the Patent and Trademark Office wants a bright line rule. They want the federal courts to either say .com attached to a regular verb or expression or name is or is not okay, capable of being trademarked, okay? Because the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals basically went ahead and said, um, this should be done on a case-by-case, fact-specific basis. Ouch. 
Okay, and the trademark office was just like, oh, no, 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 no. The but trademark I, office said, do you know how many applications we get every year? Yeah. Like, and you want us to go through individually case by case and decide yes on this and no on that and not be arbitrary and capricious? <laughs> yeah, like, right? Okay. See earlier note about administrative law. Like that's, yes. I can see why they're saying, no, there needs to be a rule that we can just say to people, Nope, that is too normal a word. It's been in the, what, Oxford English Dictionary for a thousand years. Well, I know it's not been around that long, but you know what I mean, um, or whatever, and we're just not gonna accept that. Or, sure, you can put it .com behind any word, and we'll, I'm assuming that's what they want. They want a sort of binary yes or no. Yes, okay. And the court's like, oh, but it's so nuanced, and you need to go through them individually, and. Yeah, and, and that in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals said, um, per the Lanham Act, okay, uh, you know, you need to do uh, a fact specific, if you will, investigation as to whether or not the public, okay, would recognize the name, okay, or those who book flights, trips, etc., would they recognize booking.com? And if so, um, it can be trademarked. The case went to the Supreme Court. The court has not issued a ruling yet in the case, but I read the oral argument. Oh. Yeah, it's it's still outstanding. It's, oh no, that means we'll get it sometime in the next two or three weeks, <laughs> yes. and it's going to eat our heads when we get it. Well, Hillary, that's when we'll have to have you back because it's going to be <laughs> awful, and you're going to have to hold Augie's in my hand to get through it because it, it, it can't it can't be that that won't be contentious, right? Because oh. If you read the oral arguments, the justices were all over the place, right? There were some justices who were like, okay, well, why shouldn't there be a bright line rule? Because other federal circuit courts of appeal have said, okay, the trademark office, okay, can follow, okay, a kind of sort of categorical either or approach, okay? Um, and the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals comes up with, uh, hey, we read the law, and the law says, okay, the standard is X. Is it a recognizable name to the relevant public? Okay, and the justices, okay, we're all over the map on this, right? So this is one of those cases where it's actually about administering, it, it, booking.com is irrelevant at this point. It's sure. about how you administer the law. The law. How do, how, yeah. How do you and we're we're back to that point where they take cases because lower courts have disagreed and yes. are causing drama where if you get it in one circuit you might get one answer and if you get it in another circuit you might get a different answer. And then it, you're not you don't have equitable dis distribution of the law. Yeah. So we're back to that question, that fundamental okay. I'm beginning to see the pattern that the that the Supremes. It's not. It's hardly ever about the actual thing. It's about who can do a thing and how they do the thing. Yeah, I mean, in 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 Nia, I mean. I know you've been trying to tell me that for years. Congratulations! No, but, it finally took. No, but <laughs> and, and it's frustrating, right? I mean, my students all the time complain. You know, hey, something really bad happened to this party in this case. Right. Right. Um, and the Supreme Court seems to be <laughs> wholly 
unsympathetic. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad it ruins your business. Moving on to whether this is an administrative law question or not, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's kind of heartless. Yeah, don't right. We, don't we care about booking.com? I mean, we, maybe we do, maybe we don't, but. Yeah, but I mean, it's one of those situations. If you're booking.com and you can get a trademark, okay, think about how you can go ahead and um, uh, accrue, if you will, financial benefit um, uh, because the federal government, um, has given you that trademark. Right. Okay. Um, it can have a significant financial impact, positive or negative, depending on how this ruling comes down. Right. But, but, but the oral arguments, the justices were like, so how do we interpret the Lanham Act of 19, you know, 46? Right. I mean, oh boy, for the internet. <laughs> but, Oh my Hillary, well, I'm glad you brought that up, okay, oh because, I mean, you and I have gone ahead and talked about this in, in previous podcast episodes, even with the, uh, uh, the, the, the stamp podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So much of the rules in regards to what becomes a stamp, okay, are derived from laws passed before a whole bunch of Americans like to go ahead and buy commemorative stamps. Okay, I mean, you know, we want we want laws to govern our behavior, but some of these laws were passed decades, if not generations ago, and now we're kind of sort of saying, well, can we retrofit this for what's going on today? Which is ridiculous. Nineteen forty-six. Nobody had even the remotest clue that there would be an internet and that it, and that it would be as ubiquitous as it is. Like. I know that uh, uh, recognizing, by the way, that that is what the Western world um, and that not all countries have the internet ubiquitously the same way that many Western countries do. Um, but I mean, at this point in the United States, I believe it's it's down to somewhere in the 20% range of people who don't own a personal computing device. Like that used to be 50, 50, even as late as the eighties. And then, and now it's just becoming more and more. Yeah. The, common. Digital, yeah, the digital divide has shrunk in the United States. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. once broadband sh- shrinks, which I know is a mission of many governors, right, is to see broadband in more rural communities. That will become even, like, the, one of the reasons people don't own, in rural communities, don't own computers is because there's no, there's no fast enough internet to make it worth it, right? It's, you yeah. might as well just go to the library and do it where you can, where you have some sort of speed, um, right, uh, that kind of thing. But, I mean, yeah, they, there's no way they could have envisioned what we're, what we're dealing with now, I, that's, it seems to me like that needs an update. Well, yeah. it, it, and then it gets to the question, which branch of government should do it? Should the Supreme Court retrofit a law that was written in the mid-1940s, or should the United States Supreme Court say to the Congress and the executive branch, we're not going to do your dirty work for you, okay? The Lanham Act says blah, blah, blah. If you guys want a bright line rule in regards to generic.com, okay, companies asking for trademarks, you guys have to decide that. We're not. Okay. Yeah. And and the more we discuss the, the separation of the powers, the more I'm leaning in the direction of 
the courts should say, y'all need to fix that. <laughs> right? And, and That's I really, the decision. Uh, yeah, I think their opinion should be, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> one paragraph, y'all need to fix this. Well, this is like the sovereign XO, community, XO, the XO, that we discussed Chief that Justice. was like, sorry, try again. Yeah, yeah. that's right, Hillary. <laughs> you know, I, it seems like to me that that's, well, and, and part of what I'm, what I, I'm coming to understand doing this podcast is, um, that branches try to pass off their work onto other branches. Like Congress regularly is like, oh, well, let's let the executive do that, <laughs> right? And the executive turns to the courts and says, hey, make them comply. Like the courts can make you do anything. And then the courts sometimes fix what's, what's wrong with something rather than sending it back. So it's really interesting to me that that everybody's like, oh, uh, uh, why don't we let somebody else do that? Um, I, well, I'm assuming in part because it's messy. I'm assuming part of it is because it's really messy to, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna update the Lanham Act of 1946 for 2020, y- you have a lot of work ahead of you. Like, that's not. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing that's that's tricky that, you know, has happened with like copyright law, smaller updates, you know, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the Teach Act, which was trying to make, you know, you know, um, in classroom rights apply for online teaching is you update it in the 90s and you get a little too specific about what's going on with the internet in the 90s and then it's 2020 and all of a sudden it's out of date again. And so I think the problem is coming up with something that is more modern, but is not so, so much, so fixed to the moment right now that it's just going to be out of date again in five, 10 years. So it's threading that line between specific enough to mean something, but broad enough to continue to mean something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, the law is frequently, you know, five, 10, 15 years behind what actually is going on between us human beings, right? So the question is, those who have the authority to make law, you know, it gets back to what Hillary just said, okay? Um, You know, we may want a law that's specific, but if it's too specific, it will reflect what's going on in the 1990s versus what's going on in 2020, okay? Um, and, And then you start asking questions of, well, what was the intent of those who passed the law in the 1990s versus 1946, okay, et cetera. Um, and, and, and again, if the law is supposed to create behavioral norms um, and Congress frequently delegates that authority to the executive branch, um, should the executive branch be able to d- uh, dictate what are the behavioral norms? Oh, no. I'm going to vote no on that, considering several people who have been in charge of the executive branch. I'm going to vote that they do not get to set cultural norms, although they do, I suppose, in some ways, just by influence. But let's let's not go there, okay? Because um, that but- just makes my heart sad. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 but I take your point. I, it's well, and and two, it seems to me that. I get why the federal I get why the federal agencies want 
bright line rules. They want that a lot of the time, right? They want to be able to say, this is a thing or this is not a thing and, and be able to do that. And, and I see that the argument would be, yes, but there could be nuance. There could be, there could be words that are appropriate for you to be able to, to trademark in that way because they are, now I assume that we're talking regular words, but not something like Travelocity, which is a, a specific name that somebody made yeah. up, right? That's a whole different, so that brings me to the question of names. Because I am curious, does Cher have a trademark on her name? Does Pink, does Bono, right? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I get that you two, I mean, that you two, right, the band, or Van Halen, the band, that would be a really easy thing to trademark. We are trademarking the band's name because there's a certain sound, there's a certain brand. I mean, they they fall into the same category as as Augie's beloved New York Yankees in that they have a specific presentation and that presentation should be protected. So I get why bands would fall easily in that. But where do individuals, like can Kim Kardashian, <laughs> you know, trademark her name? You already want to answer that one? <laughs> well, I want to I wanna note because I use this a lot with I don't know copyright everything talking about the idea of, of something existing on a spectrum so uh, you mentioned civil discourse earlier and like normal words right. civil discourse capital c capital d is the name of this podcast but it's also a really common term and so you could that's why we picked it <laughs> right you could trademark it but you don't really have as much um control over the way other people well you don't have any control over the way people use just the regular term civil discourse travelocity is kind of in between because it's distinctive but it's still kind of related to underlying travel so like anyone can do wordplay on travel um and get their own you know trademark um oh okay so travel and, looking yeah but then you mentioned something like van halen where like Van Halen is just uh, some words that don't have anything. They don't like relate to rock music or music generally or something like um, it's totally separate Ooh. from the underlying thing. So that's more creative, gets way more protection there. Okay. So I would say part of the name thing, I don't know. I don't know if this is similar people, people's names is that if your name was John and yes, you're very famous, <laughs> but you you know but you but your name is john and so is you know half of the rest of the world um or in the u.s at least you're gonna have a harder time trademarking something like that but if you think about um people who uh celebrities or musicians who adopt a distinctive name or persona or they give their children very distinctive um names um that are not you know straightforward um I, I think there you would get a little bit more protection. And then I think part of it just matters how, how famous are you? I think that's also important for, for people. Are you, are you extremely famous? Are you making money off of your name? Are you even like commercializing it? You're running a business, you're branding things. So I can't, I can't trademark my name. None of us can trademark our names um, unless we get strike it super rich. Yeah, yeah, I have a fairly and maybe pick a different name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was okay. So I'm sorry you triggered me to think. Okay, so the the band Van Halen mm -hmm. has an easier time trademarking than the band Journey. 
Yes. Because journey yeah. is a word. Yes. That people use. Yeah. So picking. Well, and, and so not like an easier pink. time trademarking. They can both get a trademark. Right. But or they're protecting. Yeah, protecting. Journey can't stop anyone using journey in the traditional sense of the word. Even even if they were, you know, maybe even playing off of their. I don't know. Like you know, it's it's you, you can't lock up words it, from people's use. It, it, but, it, but mentioning pink, she is actually. P exclamation point NK, mm -hmm. which makes it okay. So that makes it yeah. distinctive. And in in, the, okay. in a lot of these cases where somebody has trademarked their name, they will actually uh, hire public opinion polling firms to do surveys of how recognizable their name is as either a musical artist. Okay, um, you know, a, a painter, okay, uh, a pen name, okay. Right. Um, I've actually read that in cases because part of what they need to demonstrate per the Lanham Act is, okay, um, that their name within a particular industry is widely recognized, okay, um, as, if you will, a trademark, as a, as a, as a brand, if you will, okay? Um, you know, so, you know, for instance, you know, Stephanie, okay? You know, your given, you know, name, right. okay? It would be pretty difficult to go ahead and demonstrate that even, you know, even if you had a registered trademark or Hillary, or as Hillary so delicately pointed out, <laughs> the name John, right? Okay, on the other hand, I would probably have a far easier time with the nickname everybody uses with me. Oh, yes. Okay. Or itself, which is a, mm -hmm. yes. in okay. the United States, a more unusual name, name than, it would be than Miller or Rogers, which are the other two last names in this podcast. Okay. But, you know, in Germany, Augenbaugh, particularly if it had uh, its original spelling, would be quite commonplace and I would have an extremely difficult time per U.S. trademark laws, okay, in establishing that. But a lot of what you have to show, even if you get the trademark from the federal government, is how recognizable is it as a brand? And thus Hillary's comment about a spectrum becomes relevant, right? Right. You know, because Van Halen, okay, is a unique name, if you will. But Journey, okay, is used as a noun, Okay, um, it can be, you know, it, it, there's a shoe, there's a shoe store called Journeys. Yes. We have a separate trademark in theirs. Okay, so that would be more difficult. Okay, um, but then you see all kinds of, if you will, data and statistics that are used in these court cases to satisfy that question. How recognizable? to a specific, if you will, industry or public or market is that name. So, you know, you gave the example of share, okay? Now, because of the way she spells it, it's not S-H-A-R-E, but it's C-H-E-R, okay? She would probably have a far easier time than somebody like a journey, okay? Mm. So, simply because it's a unique spelling. You mentioned pink, right? Right. Pink it's distinctive. Spells, it's very distinctive. 
right? Yep. On the other hand, any given semester, if I was still teaching on, on campus, okay, <laughs> the number of, you know, shirts I would see, you know, my students have, okay, about pink, okay, okay, and it's not spelled P exclamation point, it's P-I-N-K. Okay, well, is right. that a trademark? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure the company has tried to trademark Yes, right, mm -hmm. okay. And I've had, you know, students. Oh, but trademark, I think, didn't you say at one point, Hillary, that, that in copyright, the font can have an effect? Yeah. yeah so, so logos and even the, the design of your trademark can be protected. Yeah. Okay. Because like Coca-Cola has I that. The more you do that, the more you're also going to be a distinctive trademark as well. And the more protected it is. So like. So if, if Coca-Cola just trademarked the words Coca-Cola, um, it's still very distinctive, but it would be less so than the little curly, you were just about to say, the, the little curly font that they have. Yeah, the curly the color C's. that they use and the right. shape of their classic bottles and the polar bear. I don't know. There's, they've, they've, got a lot, <laughs> they've got a lot going on. Okay, well, I mean, it's, 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 think about the example of my favorite baseball team, the New York Yankees. Their, oh. home, their home uniforms are pinstriped. Right. They are frequently known as the pinstripes. Okay. Well, so and they have that very distinctive N and Y. Yes. The way the logo is put together that even yes. when, even I who know nothing about baseball, when I see that logo, I'm like, oh, that's the Yankees. Like mm -hmm. I can, I can tell them apart from, I, and there are many, many teams where I don't know the logo. I'm sure yeah. local fans do, but like the Yankees are so distinctive with that logo then I'm like, oh, I know exactly who that yeah. is and what that, and it, and it evokes a certain, yeah. what that but, means. But if like, you think about all of those little individual elements, none of those in themselves would, you know, the concept of New York or Yankees or pinstripes, none of them NY, on their own, right? And right? why none of them on their own are going to be distinctive enough until you put them together. I see. And you become an amazing baseball team and everyone knows who you are. That helps too. <laughs> but but it helps to win the pennant many many right. times. Okay, but but Nia, think about what just uh, what Nia just said or what Hillary just said. Okay, it's rather fact specific. It's all of those elements put together. Right. Okay. You know whether you're talking about Coca Cola or the New York Yankees. Okay, whatever the case may be. Okay. The more facts you can bring. Okay, to your claim that your trademark has been infringed upon, the greater the chances are you're going to win. Okay, so that's why creating bright line rules in regards to trademarks becomes extremely difficult. And that's why, for instance, Hillary and I keep on hedging our bets in regards to <laughs> answering your specific <laughs> questions. Okay, well, can you know, can you trademark a name? Well, it depends. <laughs> Yeah, right. and so, so there's, there's I one see. other. You guys are federal yeah. employees in disguise. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could trademark that. But I see, I take Hillary, I take your point that pinstripes themselves don't, like if you just took pinstripes and you put them on something, I wouldn't think, oh, New York Yankees. Like that, I might, if I were some sort of fan that had some sort of like obsession but otherwise i wouldn't think that i would just think pinstripes and if i saw ny even if it was written that way i would think 
maybe, but if it wasn't in the right context, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't associate it, right? Like you're right that it builds on all those pieces. So now here I'm thinking, so the, the New York Yankees, we play the World Series, which I'm putting in quotes because no other country in the world plays in the World Series. That's not true. Canada plays, I suppose. But so I'm not sure we should call it the World Series. But anyway, so they go to do an exhibition game because they win the World Series. They go to do an exhibition game in Japan. Is their trademark logo-y stuff, (laughs) their merchandise, is it protected or can well, nefarious persons or whoever make things that, that I don't know if you guys ever occasionally, sorry, I'm going to finish a thought here at some point. Um, (laughs) Occasionally I run into these internet memes where they're showing you toys in other countries that are knockoffs of our, of, of American toys. And in, or in this case, uh, a Danish toy Lego, it's spelled LIGO right in the box, but, <laughs> but it's bricks. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is Legos. It's just that they are packaged in some different way and named something that's yeah. close, but not the same thing. So can they do suit sort of the new Yonkers <laughs> and call it that even though i know they're not from yonkers but you know yes it's kind of similar it's kind of similar to copyright where there are international treaties and countries can sign on to them and kind of come to some common agreement about how they're going to respect each other's laws or how they're going to allow people from other nations to file there but there's no like one there's no one universal system where you get to go file your copyright or your trademark or whatever you have to do the work to violent places. So that's why you do see, um, yeah, I, I guess you would say like, you know, knock, knock off products and Counterfeit. like, but, but, the, but the thing is there are also laws that are going to control some of that probably import export as well. So like maybe you can't, maybe you can't stop them from sort of using your same trademark or your brand, but maybe you can stop them from selling in the same you know, markets or something where you do have control. Well, a counterfeit yeah. is it's a just an even question, right? Because that's, get, yeah. But, but Nia, to your question. That's a law. But mm-hmm. Nia, to your question, okay, trademarks and copyrights become huge issues in international trade deals. Okay? Because to Hillary's broader point, because there are not, if you will, complete international agreements covering trademarks of all nation states what you frequently see are elements of trade deals between, for instance, the United States and China, or the United States in a particular region of the world, where many U.S. companies put pressure on the U.S. government to negotiate, if you will, trademark adherence, okay, across the nations, okay? That becomes a huge issue, okay? Um, well, and I'm assuming the bigger companies are able to bring more pressure, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, right? The mm-hmm. Disney, the huge companies are able to do that far, probably far better than the smaller, yes. than the smaller companies, but it would benefit even the smaller companies, right? If they can arrange that, those trade negotiations. That's right. Okay. So, <laughs> Okay. So I know this is going to sound stupid, but it seems like a good time to ask this question. 
a trademark, like you're trademarking a, an image, a logo, a color. Uh, what what are or do you trademark all all the things? You well, you could have multiple trademarks. Um, so you could get the word so that it's always protected in text when it appears. You could get the word with its um, particular font and design, and then you get your logo, and then you you could get the whole package basically. Um, you know, as much as you can to protect all the parts of it. Um, okay, so you could then sue people for using parts of it. Yes. Yeah, and depending on how they're using it, right? So that way you protect yourself from, oh, they're just copying my logo versus they put my name on their web page and tried to say that they are, you know, I'm sponsoring uh, this this contest they're running or something like that. So you, you get as much as you can. Well, think about it this way, Nia. Uh, all three of us work for a university that has extensive trademarks. Mm -hmm. Okay, for things that we may not even think about. Remember the slogan, make it real? Yes. Okay. Well, that was a whole it, campaign. That's all. That was a whole campaign. Okay. But it was trademarked. Okay. Now, in and of itself, make it real, um, you know, is a common <laughs> everyday expression, right? Just do it. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Right. From okay. Nike. Yeah. That's a really good example because mm -hmm. Nike, okay. Is, it's so associated with Nike, but just do it was something my mother told me when I had chores. Just okay. do it. <laughs> right? Like, she, okay, I guess she was infringing on Nike, but, you know. Okay, but Nike has the name Nike. It has the swoosh, okay, the actual logo. Then you have the slogan, just do it, okay? But then they also go ahead and trademark various brands. So, you know, if you're a basketball player for decades, okay, the epitome of basketball shoes were the Jordan brand, right. which is part of Nike, right? Um, so that ended up being trademarked, right? Mm -hmm. So Nike employs a phalanx of attorneys <laughs> whose only job is to go ahead and make sure that their <laughs> trademarks are being used in the way that Nike likes yep. it. Well, and in fairness to, to I, I hate to say in fairness to a mega corporation like <laughs> Nike, um, but Jordan sell for $250 a pair. Like you, yes, you don't want to let that be made fake ones being made and dropped into the market would, would dilute your brand. Mm -hmm. And, and as Hillary was saying earlier, you would lose revenue because right. As Jordan stopped being, cool because you can't tell real from fake or whatever. I can see why they would want to go after that and try to make sure that they kept the market as clear of that as they could so that they retain their value. And I know there are people who collect Jordans like that. They don't wear yes. them. They buy them and put them in clear plastic boxes and display them, which it's art. It's an art of a different kind. Um, but okay. So, all right, so now I have to ask a question and I'm gonna ask it in a way that doesn't make any sense, but I hope you can work it out with me. So the idea that there is this, this pair, like you can parody things, John Oliver does this all the time. He buys domains 
that are a parody of like it would not surprise me if he bought a bookingwitholiver.com right like it, to, as some sort of mocking um make america great again exactly right but like make america short again or make america tall again or you know whatever those kinds of things it, it or if your persona is is trademarked in one sense like sarah palin and tina fey comes along and says i can see the i can see russia from my house right and everybody thinks that's sarah palin which sadly there are a generation of people i'm sure augie is teaching now who actually can't tell the difference between those two people um by the way i i, I gotta stop you actually in my intro class i showed a clip of one sarah sarah palin and then two to Tina Fey doing Sarah Palin, and my students, okay, most of them did not know the difference between the two. Well, yeah. and I'm not going to say she's not brilliant because Tina Fey is brilliant, but is there a, but that kind of parody, is that, except like, can you, can you make, can you take Coca-Cola's font and write something uh, unpleasant or anti-Coke, anti-Coca-Cola with it? Like, yeah yeah i mean it's it's there's so it, it's tricky there's a couple of like sort of specific like i mentioned exceptions to this about the different ways you're using it and but but the underlying thing is the first amendment still applies always in any copyright and trademark as well and so yeah parody um you know just being able to this is another being able to criticize a product and it's similar to uh, fair use in that way that if you were trying to criticize a book or something and you published an excerpt of it, you know, um, and they, they, you know, the person didn't want you to critique them, they could try to control you by saying, ah, you're not allowed to use any part of our work. That's a, that's a protection um, that you're allowed to do that so that you can express things under the First Amendment. Trademark is the same. There are protections there for um, critiquing products for I think even um, drawing comparisons between products so if you're a competitor and you want to compare with your you know if you're Pepsi you can do a commercial even saying you know this is why our bubble brown water is great <laughs> and Coke's is I don't know terrible um, but yeah parody is a really interesting one and there have been some hilarious cases and some risque ones as well like you mentioned of people taking you know products and transforming them in ways that the the trademark owner didn't like but um the trademark is also not going to protect you from um you know getting your feelings hurt and like being the butt of a joke either which is so. different than than i assume i assume that disney won in terms of the pornographic depictions that were made in of it in other countries and tried to import into the United States, they won because I assume because it's deleterious to their brand and they were able to prove that they were able to say, you know, in common parlance, this is not parody. This is not satire. This is just, yeah. But, and it, well, it our, sounded like it was commercial too. Like they were right. making money off of, Oh, and you can't do that. Branded oh, I see. Well, uh, you, yeah. Commercial is not going to sink you necessarily. Um, it, it might in a case like that, but you know, if you were um, using civil discourse, right? Let's say someone else had something similarly named and it had the civil discourse in the title or the brand or the logo or something. You guys are both kind of pulling from the same source of 
words. And so you could both be making money on your own variations. Yeah, I mean, somebody uh, could Oh, I it. see. But, but if you take it. a character specifically owned by yeah. Disney and do something to it, that's not the same. Right. Well, the, more, the more creative it is, the more protected it is. I see. Yeah. yeah the, you know, let's say somebody goes ahead and does a, a podcast called Uncivil Discourse, where all they do is record for 50 to 60 minutes people arguing with one another. Okay. Okay. And let's say, you know, we had a trademark for civil discourse. Okay. It would be so obviously a parody of what we attempt to do that if I had to venture a guess, most federal courts would go ahead and say, okay, that's a parody and nobody would confuse. Okay. Uncivil discourse with your civil discourse. I see. Okay. So there's lots of layers to how that would be decided. Yeah, I mean, because... Because Martin's, I mean, isn't it something, I think it's Martin Spurlock's, I can't remember if that's his first name, Spurlock is his last name, did a documentary called Supersize Me. Yes. Where he ate McDonald's food for, only McDonald's food for a month to see what it would do to his body, which I don't know what he was thinking. Um, But (laughs) Supersize, I I suppose, is such a normalized set of words like McDonald's can't say we own the phrase supersize because it's come to mean bigger than expected, right? Like uh, they wouldn't have been able to sue him over that or would they not, they, or would it be because it's a first amendment right for him to use their products in order to, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of an odd that's an odd place. He used their food. He used their business in order to make a film. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me there's nuance here, aren't you? Well, it's nuanced in the sense, <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, it's kind of sort of like the fair use exception to the copyright laws. Okay. I mean, okay. why was, why was he doing this? Okay. I mean, he was trying to go ahead and part educate. Right. Okay. It's not like McDonald's can go ahead and say, People can't go ahead and eat our food and then draw conclusions about the nutritional value of our meals, right? I mean, they're actually forced to go ahead and explain the nutritional value of their meals or lack thereof, okay? I mean, that's actually required by law, okay? So in part, you know, Spurlock could go ahead and give a defense of, hey, I was only doing what the federal government or state governments require McDonald's to do. I just went ahead and did it to um, uh, an extreme amount. Well, and showed its effect on me. Yes. Yeah. He, so, I, mean, I don't he, think he made claims that this would do this to everyone. Yeah. I mean, again, McDonald's would have a really difficult time saying that <laughs> their trademarks okay, were, were being violated in part because, yes, he may have made money on the documentary or some Hollywood company did. Okay. but they're not competing in the same market. Okay. And if anything, McDonald's was free advertising. Okay. So competition in the, in a same or similar market is part of, it is part of, it's part of the protection. Yes, it is. Okay. Yep. So when we get this ruling, it's going to be contentious right? Because there are people who are going to read the text 
of yes. of the of the law and there are going to people people who read the yes but that was 1946 and we can't you know we have to think in terms of the of more recent events than 1946 when they did not have the internet and what how does this affect commerce going forward and all that other kind of stuff um but now that they've heard arguments we will get a ruling right yes yes and and if nothing else they will rule that one of the circuit courts is right yes okay yep just to prevent this from continuing to be a thing going forward yeah i mean and 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 i mentioned this um in our background notes I mean, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, Hillary mentioned the First Amendment, you know, just because the, the federal government gives trademarks doesn't mean the federal government gets to decide whether or not your trademark may or may not be offensive to some people. Okay. Um, and what I'm talking about is uh, uh, the, the Mattel versus Tam case in 2017. The Lanham Act actually has an explicit prohibition that you cannot receive a trademark, okay, uh, uh, for an expression or a slogan that disparages persons, institutions, beliefs, or national symbols. And the Supreme Court, in a unanimous vote, said that violates the First Amendment, okay? Because. Oh, so you could, you can receive a trademark that says, oh, I'm going to pick some random thing the smithsonian sucks right like because it says institutions um well in, in that particular case nia um the trademark that was being uh, applied for was for uh an asian american rock band called the slants oh my okay and the band it was populated by asian americans they wanted the, that particular trademark to undercut the stereotype, okay, associated with the phrase. And the trademark office said, slants disparages Asian Americans, okay? Um, but the ban was just like, but you're telling us what we can or cannot call ourselves, okay? And oh, I that, see. Doesn't that violate freedom of speech? And the Supreme Court agreed with the band. Agreed with the band. Uh, okay, that makes sense. I mean, if well, I, uh, oh, see, you do this to me. You trap me every time with this. <laughs> where I think I, I think yeah, I agree with it, and then I think oh, well, maybe I don't like. Part of me agrees that the band should be able to call themselves whatever they want. Like, sure. and it should be up to the buying public to buy their tickets or not buy their tickets, buy their albums or not. Buy. I know you don't buy albums anymore. I know I'm a thousand years old, but anyway, um, you know, Download however, their buy their merchandise, whatever it is that you wanted to wear their merchandise, that's up to you. But I also, I also can see where it would be difficult from the, oh, but that's going to reinforce some people's okay, well, dangerously held belief systems. Do you know what I mean? Like, so okay. I, I, it's a, it's a, t I, it always, that, that is always complicated for me. Who gets to. Okay. But think about this. 
just up the road, okay, um, in their summer training camp facility, at least until recently, um, the Washington Redskins. Right. Offensive, offensive name to many Native Americans, but after the TAM ruling in 2017, the United States Trademark Office had to uh, go back, uh, overturn their previous decision to uh, rescind the trademark protection for the Washington Redskins. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Many things. I have many feelings because you always do this to me. <laughs> I have many feelings. And I get it. I get that you want to protect. I, I get that you, you have, there's a fine line with the First Amendment between protecting people's right to express themselves, but also, also in discouraging language that is offensive, offensive or vile or yeah. right, yeah. right. Like, mm -hmm. and it and and I'm not sure that I buy the argument that because we belong to a certain group, we should be allowed to do something because you don't represent the entire group. We we t we've talked many times on this podcast about. There's no such thing as a monolithic black community or a monolithic Native American community or a monolithic Latinx community. That's not how that works. Um, all communities, the monolithic white community, there's no such thing. There's, 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 so yeah, so I don't know. Do you get to speak for all Asians when you say we're going to be, we're going to normalize this word by changing its meaning and in, in doing this in a different way. I don't know. Is it offensive, offensive to some people in the community? And it, it's like the N word, right? That's the argument about yeah. the N word is that, mm -hmm. is that if it's used in certain ways, it normalizes or takes the power from the word, but it mm -hmm. still makes me dang uncomfortable when I hear it. Right. Like, you know, I still go <laughs> every time I, I sort of hear the N word or these other um, disparaging well, especially all for racial groups and for and for groups that have been traditionally underrepresented yeah. in in structures of power. I'm like, oh, this not okay, right? So, but who am I to say what's okay for that community? Like, it's not up to me to make that decision. So, so I feel in some ways bad for the trademark crowd because they're like, dude, can't we just have a simple rule? Because we have four yeah. trillion cases to get through. Well, yeah, in some way, it's kind of right. It's allowing them to sort of back out of it and say, like, we're we're not going to decide what is okay, what is not okay. Right. Um, and I guess I would I would just add, like, you know, th them being allowed to use that and trademark that as a band name, like, allows um, anyone else to trademark something that is um, I don't know that opposes that, or that you can still parody that or something. So, like, I think that it's good that the that that trademark law at least as far as I have seen, has a, a pretty robust protection for the First Amendment, for parody, for criticism, for yeah. um, not, not letting one person, you know, sort of sit on a trademark and just to prevent other people from using the word. This, and that's what I think is unique about trademark, um, which I want to make sure we've, like, we've made really clear, as opposed to copyright or patent, is like, you can't just file for it and forget it. Um, you have to be actively um, marketing and protecting and using your trademark. Um, otherwise, you are going to lose it. Um, you know, as a patent, you can sort of say, "I oh, yes, I invented this thing. 
I don't actually want to like make a business out of it, but it's a real thing. I'm going to file it and make money off of other people or copyright. Do you write something and publish it and you don't, you don't have to keep selling it. You don't have to do anything with it. You get the copyright for 5,000 years. You know, it's a long time. It's a very long time. But yeah, with, with trademark, it's really, um, it's really tied to, you just have to be active. It's really tied to nuances and like exactly how you're using um, the trademark over time. And I think that it makes it like a big complex mess, but it, it, it seems to protect creativity in a way that, um, that I, that I appreciate. So. I, I think that's a, that's an excellent point for us to end on because it, it's this idea that if Coca-Cola stops using the swirly, <laughs> the swirly lettering, right. And they, with their new Coke, I look upon you with a scance, by the way, new Coke, because it was foul. Oh, but, it was terrible. Oh, you know what it tasted like? Pepsi. Um, I'm just saying, if I wanted a Pepsi, I'd go get a Pepsi. Just really gross. But but they had different lettering, right? They had very block yes. lettering. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing was supposed to make me feel all like, ooh, it's new and whatever. And I was like, ooh, it's foul and gross. But if they stop, uh, and please don't sue me, Coca-Cola. I'm sorry, I don't like it. But it, it, and so neither did anybody else, as you could see by the sales. Um, <laughs> but but this, if they stopped using the swirly logo and they went to some block logo and 20 years from now, they wanted to pick the swirly logo back up, they would have to sort of refight for that is what you're saying. If other people in yes. the meantime picked up that, mm -hmm. that swirly lettering, even if they weren't writing Coca-Cola, but they were writing that swirly, like you haven't been using this dude. It's no mm -hmm. longer. Yep. I like that. I like that. It's not, there's not a, perpetuity to it the way there is to to copyright where uh, you know i wrote uh, or i did this i've created this character and no one can use it for four hundred and fifty six thousand years like that's i don't know i think it's trademark i think you're right that it encourages creativity trademark protection okay encourages if you will branding and logo logo usage in the marketplace but it also forces people to interact with one another in that marketplace. So if you have the trademark, you got to use it. And if you don't use it, then other people can go ahead and make the claim, hey, you're no longer using it, we can. And that's the kind of sort of, if you will, competition of brands, expressions, logos, word usage. Um, and I tend to agree with Hillary. I think that's a good thing. Um, um, instead of a bad thing, um, uh, I would actually like to see more of that um, um, as it relates to the First Amendment, particularly if you believe one of the purposes of freedom of speech is a marketplace of ideas, okay? Just because you've trademarked it doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of us can't use it. Yep, and for anyone who's trying to use it for that purpose, just to prevent other people from using yeah. it and not really using it themselves, and that, that's, you're not supposed to do that, but there are instances of that. And that's something that needs to be more, you know, cracked down on even more. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks guys. It's been a really interesting conversation. Yes. So, Hillary, will you come back when we find out what they, what horrors they say about booking? <laughs> I would be, I would be happy to. I've, I have learned a lot in this episode. Me too. 
it's always fun to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Nia. Thanks. Yep. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.